Hello and welcome to another episode of the Theo Keeps Talking podcast, where you may laugh or you may learn, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. My name is Theo, and the most important question of the day, how are you all doing? Last episode, I chopped it up with one of my close friends, John. We talked about basketball and the college experience and anime and food and all that. So I had a blast and check that out when you get a chance. Today, I figured I was on a roll and decided to talk about basketball yet again. So if you're here and you were just looking for a nice listen along and all that, This probably won't be for you. (laughs) I might have to catch you next episode. This is is your warning. I am nerding out all episode long. Today's recommendations are packed. I peeped the J. Cole album. I enjoyed that very much. Nicki Minaj is out of retirement now and put her, I think the year was 2009, mixtape Beam Me Up Scotty on all major platforms, including some new tracks. Seeing Green is heat. I love, I, that's definitely my takeaway. Seeing Green nonstop plays right now. I have a ton of basketball recommendations since we are getting into the playoffs. Some NBA Twitter slash overall social media recommendations. Uh, Nikias Duncan, N-E-K-I-A-S Duncan. He's a good follow on Twitter. Positive Residual, I learned a lot from them. NBA Paint, that's on Twitter. It's just overall just cute and hilarious. Um, Stat Muse, they basically just take all the analytics, but add some pictures and add some context, and it makes it more appealing. Uh, And then I have some YouTube and podcast recommendations. The Mismatch, that's from the Ringer Podcast Network, Kevin O'Connor. Um... You know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's like that whole crew over there, Chris Vernon. Then Thinking Basketball by Ben Taylor. That's my... That's, thinking Basketball has elevated my average intelligence about basketball way beyond uh, what I could have ever imagined. Um, thinking Basketball has a really good YouTube series that I'll kind of talk about in, later on, where they talk about the best peaks of the best players ever. Um, and there's a thinking basketball podcast. So if you want to like level up, like I did, I just went to thinking basketball. I looked at their playlists and they basically teach you everything you need to know in like this analytics one-on-one playlist. And it just opened up my eyes to everything. I'm like, wow, look at that. So smart now. Uh, the athletic, they have some good, some good authors, some good podcast work. They have like the Athletic NBA show or something like that. I think it's daily, um, but they have some good content over there. Jenkins and Jones. I've mentioned them before. They are hilarious, but they they t- they, they hit on some Lakers basketball because you know Braun, and it's it's good. They're just also hilarious. Uh, <laughs> Hoop Vision sixty eight on YouTube has some really good content there. Coach Daniel on YouTube also has some good X's and no breakdowns. And then B-Ball Breakdown, I think that's pretty self-explanatory in the title. They're also on YouTube as well. And all of these accounts I've listed have contributed to what I know now. So this will be part one. I'm doing this nerding out series in two parts. This, this part will come out before the play-in games are done. Like, I'm recording this before the Warriors play the Grizzlies. Um, And part two will come out after the NBA Finals are over. So, here's some background. It's to Theo, the basketball fan, just as a whole. Uh, I grew up in Maryland. I still live in Maryland. A young Wizards fan. I had a Wizards Michael Jordan jersey. I love the 2003 Maryland Terps team and Juan Dixon. Uh, just a fun aside about Juan Dixon. Yeah, he's a he's the head coach of the Coppin State men's basketball team here in Baltimore. But there's like that, the Papa Shot thing, like the hot hoops, whatever it's called, the thing at Dave & Buster's where you shoot a bunch, whatever you want to call it. And I thought that when I was younger, 
Because, of course, when you're young, everything, everything in the world happens because of you, right? I thought the thing, the the hoops thing, when it said from long distance, I thought that said from Juan Dixon, because <laughs> that's just, you know, how I thought about everything. Um, but yeah, I was a young bandwagoner, uh, primarily the Wizards, but all I knew is I didn't like the Lakers growing up. Um, and I also grew into the fact that I didn't like LeBron either, because he always beat the Wizards, which we'll get to. There, here's how my Wizards fandom ended. They were the local team. I supported them in all of their mediocrity. Then in 2005, we made the first big three, you know, the pre-Celtics one, when we acquired Karan Butler to join Gilbert Arenas and Antoine Jameson, Antoine Jameson and all that. And then the three of them averaged... 67 points per game together in 2005-2006 and lost to LeBron 4-2 in the first round. Then they averaged 67 points per game again in 2006-07 and got swept by LeBron in the first round. Then averaged 61 points per game in the 07-08 season and lost 4-2 to LeBron in the first round. The good news is I had already given up on the Wizards by the 2007 playoffs. Here's why. On March 30th, 2007, the Wizards were hosting the Raptors. The Wizards go up 109-106 with 3.8 seconds left in the game after some clutch Gilbert Arenas free throws. The Raptors take it out. No timeouts. They're 94 feet away. The Raptors have to throw the ball three-quarters court. They do. Michael Ruffin on the Wizards deflects it, grabs it, and then throws it up in the air to let the time expire. Game over, right? No. Morris Peterson, a guard or forward, whatever, for the Raptors, catches the ball as it's coming down with 1.2 seconds left. Throws up a 29-foot contested off-balance three-pointer and makes it. Ties the game. The Wizards then lose in overtime. And my fan- my fandom was... It, it was over. <clears throat> it was just over. I was so devastated. I just couldn't believe it. How dare you do that to me? Uh, then as I got older, after that Wizards, you know, f- peace, uh, <laughs> I loved D. Wade. I wasn't a fan of LeBron's decision because I legitimately thought he could win in Cleveland without leaving Cleveland. But we'll also get there. We'll get there. Why? Why that's not necessarily true. But we'll get there. I wasn't super cognizant of the intricacies of basketball until around 2014 when I started doing stats for my high school varsity men's basketball team. So I didn't even realize how poorly LeBron played in 2011 until years after. And I just thought Dirk played amazing, which he did. 2012, I was glad that LeBron won one. He seemed so happy. 2013, I was watching game six with my mom in a, of the finals in a hotel in Virginia Beach. And I remember she thought it was over. And I said, it's not over until the clock runs out. Not because I thought Ray Allen would possibly hit the greatest shot of all time, but because I remember in 2004 when Derek Fisher hit a game winner against the Spurs worth four tenths of a second left. So I've always believed anything can happen in four tenths of a second. Ray Allen hits it. And the rest is history. 2014, that Spurs team played some of the most genius basketball I've ever seen. There was this YouTube video I recently watched about it from from that channel I mentioned earlier, Coach Daniel, titled, The The Spurs 2014 Offense is Basketball Euphoria. That's the title. It's a great watch. In 2015, it was weird. 
the Warriors were so fun to watch, and I loved when Steph Curry played at Davidson, but I really wanted to see if LeBron could win after losing Kevin Love and Kyrie. For reference, my family loves Steph Curry. My dad and I watched his game in 2013 against the Knicks when he put up 54 in Madison Square Garden, but they lost. But it was definitely his coming out party in the NBA. And here we are now. Also, he signed Under Armour, which I have incredibly high brand loyalty to since its headquarters is in Baltimore. But there was also LeBron putting forth his best Herculean effort. And I was convinced they had a shot after game three, but it wasn't meant to be. Then 2015-2016 comes along. I'm a freshman in college. And as a group, my floor watched nearly all of the Warriors regular season games after they got hot, and we definitely watched Kobe's last game together. When we watched the Cavs-Raptors in the playoffs, though, we thought the Cavs had a re- reasonably had a shot, even though the Warriors were 73-9. and And then the finals came. It looked pretty bad. Then Draymond got suspended, and Kyrie and LeBron went insane, and Game 6, LeBron swatted one of Curry's layups, and... I knew it was over. I know Braun got the block and I know Kyrie hit the shot. But my favorite moment of that 2016 Game 7, one of the best non-consequential what-ifs in sports history, in my mind, is when when LeBron nearly dunks Draymond into the doom dimension. Like, I don't know what I would have done if he postered him, but I screamed just at the attempt, just at the audacity that there was a shot that Draymond almost just got sent to hell, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Just absolutely banished. Um, And it was just crazy. Um, But the Cavs win. LeBron gets that 3-1 comeback in the finals, the only one ever. And that's when the last dance began. Like, this is a fact. The last dance... The like Michael Jordan, all everyone had the film for the 1998 season this entire time. But the second that 2016 came around, they were like, "We're getting into business." <laughs> so the last dance for those who don't know, but I don't know how you don't know, uh, is a 10-part docu series between ESPN Films and Netflix on the Chicago Bulls' 1997-98 season where they won their sixth championship and cemented their third three-peat. MJ had the licensing rights to the footage ever since 98, but yeah, he made hashtag that call after the 2016 Cavs championship, and hey, I don't blame him. LeBron in that moment, and even more so after the 2018 season, was now the closest player in the public eye to come close to MJ's individual greatness. The reason why he was the best player on now four, then three, but four now championship title teams, something that most would agree that even Kobe didn't achieve since he played with Shaq for three of his five championships. The manner in which LeBron did it helped as well. The 95-96 Bulls team were deemed the greatest team of all time for going 72-10 and during the regular season, and then they won the title that year. The 2015-16 Warriors went 73-9, and and then they were one win away from, well, first of all, they were one win away from losing to the Thunder, and then they were one win away from winning the whole thing. And then LeBron happened. Um... <laughs> Now here comes the divide. Who is the greatest basketball player of all time? Prior to this documentary, there was a growing notion that people who never saw MJ play for the Bulls live, including myself, would think LeBron is the best player of all time. And that rubbed a lot of the old heads the wrong way. You see, Comparing NBA players is incredibly customary in basketball discussions, and it's only gotten more common with daytime debate shows such as First Take, First Things First, and Undisputed, and all those. Anyone born 1995 or later probably never saw 
a live game of Michael Jordan playing for the Bulls, or at least remembers it if they did. I was born in 97, so technically the greatest player I've ever seen is LeBron James. I saw Jordan as a wizard. It was cool, but I've seen the genesis all the way to the current for LeBron. This starts with the fundamental difference in eras in basketball. To define it simply, I consider any basketball played before the year 1980 prehistoric. Why? Well, NBA games were still on tape delay, meaning that the games weren't shown live on TV. You had to see it later. Uh, In addition, the three-point line was not introduced in the NBA until 1980, which completely changes how games are played. Michael Jordan, you know, the Michael Jordan, actually played in college when there was neither a shot clock or a three-point line. It's pretty insane. One of the one of the most famous young MJ clips is him hitting the go-ahead jump shot in the 1982 NCAA championship game as a freshman. My favorite thing about that is that how there's absolutely no three-point line whatsoever. Like, he hits like a 19-footer, but there isn't another line. It's just the free-throw line and the paint. It's so weird. Um, just a naked court, you know, so pure. Just so it's so it's so beautiful and so ugly at the same time. It's strange. So this means that the parameters of measurement are different across different eras. Imagine you're in high school, about to be a solid player, and then all of a sudden they add this new line during your senior year that's worth more points. It's going to take a lot of adjusting you're probably not going to be good at it until much, much later. And even then, the line gets further and further away between high school, college, and the NBA. Compare that to, say, a Steph Curry, who's had a three-point line his entire life to shoot from. And you start seeing the fundamental differences between eras. It's like kids these days would probably be, quote, better than kids in 1985 at shooting threes just because they've always had it. But if they added a four-point line tomorrow, we'd all suck at it. Just another, another simple application. In the 2019 NCAA men's basketball season, 2019, two years ago, if they moved the college three-point line back they sorry why did i say if they moved the college three-point line back to the international three-point line so it was a jump from like 20 i think it's 20 feet nine inches away from the rim to 22 feet one and three quarters inches away that was how far the international line was and now the international and men's ncaa lines are the same and that year had the most upsets i've ever seen The mid-major and the small schools don't usually have the greatest athletes, so they have more shooters and, quote, glue guys so that the the shift wasn't too drastic for them. That was the year Kentucky lost to Evansville and Duke lost to Stephen F. Austin at the beginning of the year. It was crazy, but you can see how a shift in current rules can change who's the most effective for a period of time. Another crazy thing about three-pointers is how in 1970, Jerry West, he was on the Lakers, he made a 60-foot shot in the NBA Finals to tie the game and send it to overtime. But the 60-foot shot, the one he hit, was worth two points. That's insane. I think the rule should have been like, if you shoot from half court, it's worth three. Like, that, that should just be how it is. <laughs> but he shot a 60-footer that was the same value as a layup. Crazy. Back to comparing eras. One of the most repeated things about the NBA that I hear, especially in the 80s, was how it was just so much tougher to play and all that. This is in reference to the consistent hard fouling players would inflict on each other as they drove to the basket. I agree that 
the violence was absurd, but I disagreed that it meant anyone was, quote, better at basketball back then. It's almost like saying life was better before Uber existed because you had to take public transportation. I mean, yes, life probably made you better at time management without the bailout of a rideshare app, but it doesn't mean life was better that way. Also sprinkling in my opinion with some facts here, the only reason there were so many hard fouls was because nobody knew how to shoot. Facts. It's largely because there was never any incentive to shooting really far away until 1980, and even then coaches didn't want you taking what was deemed a bad shot. So if everything was worth two points, you might as well get as close as possible. Even then, you couldn't show me an entire roster of players that could dribble with their head up with either hand and hit a 17-foot jump shot, even in practice. It's simple. Players get more skilled with the acquired knowledge over time. All you have to do is watch one full-length game from each NBA Finals from 1980 to now, and you'll see the average skill skill level of each player is increasingly better over time. Now, I will say this. I believe that players who were superstars back then would still adapt really well to rules right now. Like if we're all in agreement that Bill Russell is the best possible version of Rudy Gobert, then that means he'd still go crazy in this era. Wilt would still ruin lives. I'm sure guys like Jerry West, Dr. J, all of the elite level old heads would still go crazy if you just gave them time to figure it out. Greatness will always be greatness. One factually hilarious side note about the 80s, the 1980s had the highest scoring average and pace of play of any era all time. Meaning that defenses were allowing the most points per 100 possessions during the, quote, golden era of defense. Just a thought, in case you ever need to shut down an old head who's like, oh my goodness, you you weren't around for the peak Larry Bird days. You can say that. Like, oh, they're, they're so soft these days, really. Soft, huh? How about this? Watch a Michael Jordan game. This is like this is this is facts. You could watch a Michael Jordan game. I think you could, the one I watched was from 1988. There's a game where he played in Philadelphia, in Philly. This is Charles Barkley was still on the Sixers when this was happening. The Bulls are on the road in Philadelphia, and the and the commentator, like the PA announcer, whenever Michael Jordan on the away team scored, he called him. Michael, Air, Jordan, every time he scored. Yet we're soft now? What are you talking about? Like, literally, literally, you could look it up. They were saying Michael, Air, Jordan, and cheering for him when he scored on the road in, like, the late 80s. Nah, you can never. This is all revisionist history. I understand dudes were getting punched midair i saw it that's wild but it doesn't mean they're better it doesn't mean that they're necessarily better basketball players if you can't guard me without punching me that means you can't guard me that's just the facts if you can't guard me without holding me hand checking if you can't guard me without holding me that means you can't guard me that's just how it is that's those are the rules and anything otherwise is just cap straight cap Um, all that, and another thing to add, no, you also can't simply say that if you took LeBron and dropped him off in the seventies, he would score 85 points a game. He might do very well, but he is the way he is now because the, all the acquired skills and knowledge he's built up over time have made him successful, right? With that being said, I still think he's the best basketball player ever by a measure of path of difficulty, lack of free agent assistance in Cleveland, lack of elite drafting and inadequate coaching, all that. Michael Jordan got the greatest coach of all time, 
and Scottie Pippen, like the a top ten perimeter defender of all time, maybe top five. And then no one, literally no team that Michael Jordan ever played and defeated in the NBA Finals was as difficult as the Warriors. Those are the facts. Those are the facts. I will hear I will hear the arguments for the bad boy Pistons, but he always lost to them when they were good. And then the Celtics, he always lost to them when they were good. I will always hear those arguments out. I'll always hear them out. So something, let's just talk about Michael Jordan real quick. Since we're here, let's talk about Michael Jordan. Why is Michael Jordan so popular? Because if you really think about it, I mean, dudes who are like 30, 40 years old now are like, they worship him. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like sacrilegious if you say anyone it could even come close to MJ, to them, right? So I thought about it. Players back then, even even in just players notwithstanding, people, people back then were not in control of how you thought about them. This is these are these are ab these are total outright facts. The players and celebrities back then were, had zero control over what you thought about them. Think of it this way. If in in two in <laughs> in nineteen ninety two if you were sitting at your house, you could only see what Michael Jordan was doing if you were in front of a TV and he was either on a commercial, a talk show, or playing basketball. That's it. That's it. In 2021, you can figure out anything you desire about LeBron at any given point in time. His Instagram stories are like 20 Johns long every day, every day, (laughs) literally. Like if you were just curious, like at 3 p.m. on a Friday and be like, I wonder what LeBron's up to. You can find out. (laughs) You know what I mean? That was one of the things that Will Smith said. Like he's like he was discussing why he made his Instagram, like why he was so late in making his Instagram. And he said that stars like really popular people in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Like it was your star power was better the more mysterious and disconnected you were because people would just fill in the blanks for you. But now it's all about access. Like your favorite people have to vlog. They have to tweet. They have to do Instagram stories. They have to do TikToks. That's the engagement is there. Like, have you not seen how like live streamers, like video game live streamers and just like streamers in general are some of the most popular people on the planet right now you know because it's about access there weren't 24 7 debate talk shows about michael jordan but any lebron sniffs weird and and we hear about it for like three hours michael jordan does did not create the level of content that lebron does now in just terms of total digital media hours you know so back then it's like any shred of MJ people were clawing at each other over the shoes, the whatever. Right. But I mean, LeBron, you hear him all the time. And like, it's almost like annoying. You know what I mean? Like the shows that talk about him all the time get annoying because they talk about him all the time. But MJ never had that. There weren't 24 seven talk shows. ESPN is a is like a literal 24 7 channel now sports center came on abc at night for like three hours a night that was it back then you know what i mean it's weird it's so weird so different but to expand on my further my the first point i made or one of the earlier points i made why is michael jordan so popular and the answer is advertising like I said, people don't have people back then did not have control over what you thought. The companies did. The companies were the vehicle for the person, right? Nowadays, it's the person is the vehicle for the company. But more on that later. Nike. Let's talk about Nike. Nike has so many air shoes. Air shoes. 
Air Max, Air Zoom Generation, Air Zoom Soldier. You know what I'm saying? But back then, Nike wasn't even the main shoe brand in the world. Like Magic, Johnson, and Larry Bird, they wore Converse. NBA players used to wear Adidas Superstars to play professional basketball, which seems insane. Excuse me. In comes Jordan, who gets the Air Jordan shoe. Think of it that way. Air Max, right? Air Max. Like Nike Air. Max. Nike Air. Zoom. Nike Air. You know, like that's the thing. And then Jordan. They just threw Jordan at the end. And now they call him Air Jordan. Like on broadcasts, they call him Air Jordan. And that's crazy. Like Nike had that much control. That... All because then the thing was air. That that's the thing. That's the the line of shoes. And they just put Jordan at the end. That now he's called Air Jordan. Crazy. Then he has the commercial with Spike Lee. And then there was that there's this like story about how he got banned for wearing his shoes. Because like the uniform rules were like all old and rigid, like how baseball still is. Uh, turns out that story wasn't true. <laughs> um, here's another air shoe. He had a colorway of the Nike Air Ship Player Editions that got fined but never banned. And I read that on both Complex and Soul Collector. But th- stories like that make his legend even bigger. You know what I mean? Like his shoes were never banned. And also that even f- f- further proves my point. The shoes he wore before he wore Jordans were called Air Ships. Like Air ship right air space ship just like air like it's so crazy i I might never get over that nike air made air jordan and then everyone called him air jordan and nike was literally just getting free advertising every time he did anything crazy crazy um but yeah when you have a story like that with no internet, with no like massive ability to internet, you saw when like the Jordan 30s came out or 29s came out, how because the 90s kids and like the two like the early 2000s adults were like, yeah, they were banned because they didn't have the internet to check. That when the marketing campaign for like those shoes came out, no one was no one my age was old enough to know if they did or didn't. And then people back then don't fact check anything. I mean, that's what Facebook is. It's literally just old people. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, no offense, but you know what I mean, though. Like people don't fact check anything, you know. And that's how that marketing just expands. Another brand, McDonald's. Uh, MJ had that horse commercial with Larry Bird. Then he had that commercial where he played one-on-one versus himself. And then Gatorade. We all know Gatorade is a household product now, but it wasn't as big back then. Gatorade came in with a $13.5 million drink sponsorship for MJ after he finished his Coca-Cola deal in 1991. So that was seven years into the league for him. Oh, and also, Gatorade ran an ad that said it helped MJ perform during the flu game, which is an insane boost to marketing and dangerous, but I'm not a health expert, so I'm going to let you all read the articles about that. But that's crazy, because, you know, it's 90, that was 1997, and no one knew any better, so they were like, oh my god, got to get me Gatorade when I'm sick, which, which obviously you need to be hydrated, but think about it that way. One of the most iconic sports events in, like, North American history gets boosted by Gatorade. You know what I mean? That's just crazy. Um, then there's the Dream Team, and that's literally the greatest team of all time, greatest assembled team of all time, and all the mythos and documentaries about that. And then, of course, like him and when he was young with the dunk contest with the chain and the free throw line and then Space Jam, the movie, you know, what I'm saying all of these things. Are external things, technically external yet related things that make MJ bigger, you know, what I'm saying and all of those things, because there's no consistency to them, like like watching. It's almost like someone made this analogy 
before DVR, when you missed a show, you just missed it. Like it, you couldn't control when it came back, especially like a like a premiere nighttime show. They didn't like a primetime show. Sorry, they don't do reruns. So like the slam dunk contest was like either you saw it or you didn't, and then like you'd get a recap on it in the newspaper or like on the magazine on like a slam magazine or whatever, and that was it. You know what I'm saying? So like everyone needed to watch and see all these kinds of things, and that's what and that's just how things are. Also, side note, on closing the MJ advertising part, I don't think the 90s were full of super tough guys or anything like that. Like, the Knicks and Bulls got into it, and the Knicks and Heat got into it, and the Pacers and the Bulls got into it sometimes. But there is one time where MJ finally dunked on Dikembe Mutombo, and he wagged his finger, and he got a tech. I mean, like... The malice at the palace happened when I was alive. And I'm certain none of those dudes back then would once smoke with Ben Wallace. So that's all I got to say. All I got to say. Now, I will say this. I think, was was it Daryl Dawkins nearly killed Rudy Tomjanovich? Like, I understand that was wilder than wild. Like, if you just look that up, Rudy Tomjanovich is about to go into the Hall of Fame. He almost got killed in a basketball game because a dude punched him so hard like he was leaking spinal fluid it was crazy i'm like oh my god oh my god anyway now that i think about it last fall i watched the 1996 eastern conference finals game one on youtube because i'm just a nerd and i don't think the skill gap is as massive as i thought between generations I think that the time, film, studying, and practice was just dedicated to skills that aren't as utilized in the modern NBA. Here's what I mean. Post-ups. In the past, anyone under 6'6 had to know how to throw a good post-entry pass. And anyone above 6'4 had to know how to post up their opponents, right? Like Penny Hardaway a guard he's a big guard but he was posting up everybody like a point guard you know what i'm saying shooting like post-ups and shooting i mean the three-point line as the as a benchmark for our offense nowadays didn't really happen until like the 2005 phoenix suns you know like no one was like yeah take threes take threes take threes like it was a good thing to space the floor for people like Shaq or Tim Duncan, but the 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 2005 Suns were like, oh, we will kill you with threes. Ball handling, who's in charge of leading the offense? Back then, guards or short dudes. Now it's just anyone who who can do it. You know, like Jokic is the focal point of the offense. Like he's like. I mean, he's better than Arvita Sabonis already, but Sabonis was like an outlier back then. It was like, oh my God, who's this big dude who can pass? Like, Jokic can hand, he can do it all. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, I don't think he's going to like cross you up or anything like that. But even like Embiid can get a little jiggy with it. Giannis is like 6'11. He'll kill you with, with the ball in his hands, full dribble and everything, you know? So it's just how it's adapted. The league's just adapted over time. Think of it this way. Remember when Fortnite was bigger than life itself? Back then, when Ninja played with Drake, like three years ago, they would get hosed by any of the average players now. Just because the strategies and the information has evolved to the point that the kids are cracked these days. My friend here, Justin, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're cracked these days. I mean, I remember the first time I saw someone crank some 90s, and I was like, what? You can do that? You know what I'm saying? And here we are now. I mean, watching someone who's good at Fortnite play now, I'm like, what is even happening? It's crazy. So back to basketball. I just want to throw this out there for posterity's sake. My top five, my top 10 uh, NBA players of all time fluctuates from like three to 10 all the time. But here's what it is. Number 10, Larry Bird. Number 9 is Kobe. Number 8 is Shaq. Number 7 is Tim Duncan. Number 6 is Will Chamberlain. Number 5 is Bill Russell. Number 4 is Magic. Number 3 is Kareem. Number 2 is Michael Jordan. And number 1 is LeBron James. That's my top 10. Um, Slight clarifications. I think that, realistically, 
Shaq, the reason why Shaq's ahead of Kobe, I know Kobe has more rings and more points and he's Kobe, but peak Shaq was just unbelievable. Like, I don't think there's many people more dominant and successful at the same time than peak Shaq. So that's why he's above Kobe. But I like Duncan's just like length of his career. Like Shaq wasn't like Shaq wasn't as effective from like 2005 on. He played really well in 2006 when they won the title. But the literally like the back half of his, of his career was like useless to say he was just big, right? But Duncan was useful the entire time. Um, Wilt Chamberlain below Bill Russell. If you want to know why, go to thinkingbasketball.com. That explains, oh, Thinking Basketball on YouTube. That'll explain why I think that too. Just look it up. And it is a really good explanation. But if you don't have the time, I'll tell you right now in really short words. Wilt's gigantic stats are impressive, but they're not impressive in terms of efficiency. And my biggest thing in life is efficiency. Like, do things with the least amount of effort or at least amount of strain on yourself. Efficiency. Um LeBron, I just think he's just I just think he's more impressive. Like MJ's crazy. Like I get that. I just find LeBron more impressive on a personal level. That I think here's how I put it. LeBron James is the single greatest basketball entity of all time. On court performer, I might give that. I mean, I could see why you would give that like Michael Jordan, but just like total basketball being is certainly, certainly LeBron. Like the influence he has and just like the IQ level, the facilitating, you know what I'm saying? He's going to be top 10 in points and top 10 in assists all time. And I, I understand he's lost in the finals. And trust me, I get that 2011 finals was very, 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 very bad. I understand that. But think of it this way. Why on earth does it make sense that someone who makes the finals more than someone else is worse than the other person? Like, that doesn't make any sense. If you ask me to, like, rank it, the finals, if you win the finals, that's a gold medal. If you make it but lose, that's a silver medal. And then there's no bronze in this situation. Like, who cares if you get third or fourth? Because third slash fourth is the same thing. You lost in the conference finals. Why is LeBron getting more silvers than literally, like, why is LeBron having more total medals, if you if you codify it that way, worse than if he didn't get any silver medals at all? Like, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, that argument basically tells me it's better to be the third or fourth best team in the NBA than the second best team. That's what that means. If you're saying 6-0 and is better than what... LeBron's like four and six now. He might be five and six when this is over. <laughs> he might be five and six next time I see y'all. <laughs> anyway, if you're telling me that six and zero is better because you never lost in the finals, then that means you're okay saying he was the best. He was the best team six times, and he was the third best team or worse every other time. But I can say LeBron was the best team four times and was the second best team six times. That's what that means in my head. And that means LeBron was a top was a top two team or top two whatever, how you want to describe it. He was on a top two team more than MJ was. That's how I think about it. And therefore I say he is the best. Kareem's ahead of Magic because I don't just count the NBA. Kareem didn't lose a college game, I don't think. <laughs> like, I don't, like, I think that's the case. I think he won every single NCAA championship game because I don't, I don't think he was allowed to play as a freshman. So, ever since he started playing, they didn't lose. That's an insane stat obviously it was like in the 70s or six i don't know it was old anyway the point is oh my god he played three years of college and didn't lose that's absurd 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 anyway enough about the past let's talk about the two 
2021 NBA season and upcoming playoffs. But first, a water break brought to you by this Nalgene bottle I have with the 100 Thieves logo on it. <clears throat> ah. <laughs> that was great. Um. Okay. Let's get right into it. I think that if the Los Angeles Lakers are able to defeat the Suns, it is over. They look good. Their defense was number one in the league, even when AD and LeBron missed time. That play-in game was wild, but LeBron hit the shot. You know what I'm saying? He hit the shot. I kind of feel bad for the Suns, though. Before Steve Nash got hip-checked into the scores table in 2007, you're staring at the Suns about to waltz through the West and feast on baby LeBron and the Cavs. And then they just get... And then the, the suspensions happen and it gets bad. And then in 2010, they just get straight Kobe'd. Oh my goodness. You should look up that game on YouTube. Here's what you look up. The 2010 Western Conference Finals Game 6, right? They go from that only to have one good draft pick for like eight years. And that's Devin Booker. Then they've rebound with Mikel Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson, Dario Sarge, Cameron Payne, who I met in LAX at 2016, and then point god Chris Paul. You have the best season in years, only to get the Lakers in round one. Anthony Davis is going to make DeAndre Ayton look like food. Poor Chris Paul. And Devin Booker loves 100 Thieves, and so do I. And I want his success, but I also want Caruso to put that man in solitary confinement. Sag. Last year, I wasn't actively doing my podcast as I watched the demise of the Clippers before my very eyes. Literally one of the best moments of my entire life. I did just watch them lose to, to the pathetic Oklahoma City Thunder, who are the worst team in the league by a mile in net rating, and the hapless Houston Rockets in a grand total of 36 hours. How bad was it? The Rockets had lost 45 of their previous 50 before they played the Clippers. And the Clippers sold. Then they played OKC who had won a grand total of one game since April 1st, and the Clippers folded like a lawn chair. All that they so that they could avoid playing the Lakers until at least the West Finals. So pathetic. I hope Luka sends them to the Slovenian streets. Get playoff puff pastry out of here. As far as MVP goes, we got to talk about this in depth. So I firmly believe that Steph Curry is the most singular, most valuable player in the league, and that LeBron finally, finally does not deserve that title this year. When LeBron missed time, at least at any other junction of his career, his team was pathetic. This time they were decent. They were still literally the best defense in the league. They just looked like a YMCA offense out there. The Warriors, when Steph was out, were literally the Warriors, were literally the eighth worst offense in modern NBA history when he didn't play. When he came back, they were decent, which is, hey, going from all-time bad to just all right is a monumental leap. I do believe Jokic will get the award. I mean, his whole team has fallen apart around him, and they're still hosting a playoff series. Uh, I mean, like, Murray, Dozier, like, the whole team is crumbling around him. And they're still hosting a playoff series. Uh, Embiid had a hot start to the season, but then he missed some games. Jokic, Jokic's advanced stats are absurd. Uh, and Philly's been a relatively healthy team all year. So I'd give it to Jokic over Embiid, but it's close. Let's talk about Giannis. Now... I think Mike Budenholzer is a clown and doesn't use the team properly around Giannis, but that's not the point today. I knew we were in for a treat when I saw a notification way back in like 2017, 2018, when Jason Kidd, who he and I share the same birthday, by the way, said that he'd have Giannis play point guard that season. 
And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And here we are. Now, I want to enter a deeper philosophical conversation with you all, if you don't mind. Obviously, just saying that the regular season, that the MVP is a regular season award is misleading. Giannis not really being considered for MVP this year has everything to do with him winning it the previous two times and not reaching the conference finals either time. There was no shot he was going to win again this year. Even though he they played well. And the notion right now is, well, we got to see what he does in the playoffs. So let me branch this Giannis conversation into two topics and you'll just have to bear with me. Topic one correlation between MVP and success. So here's a fun fact for you. Since 1997, when I was born, the player who won MVP also, and then also won the championship, a grand total of six times out of 23. Only six. And obviously it'll be 24, like out of 24 when the season's over. But the six are MJ in 1998. Shaq in 2000, Tim Duncan in 2003, LeBron in 2012, LeBron in 2013, and Steph in 2015. That's it. From 2003 to 2012, the MVP, sorry, from 2004 to 2011, the MVP did not win the NBA Finals. At all. (laughs) At all. The closest was, I think, Kobe in 08, and they lost. Oh, man. And then from 2016 to 2020, no one, none of the MVPs, uh, none of the MVPs, I don't even think, played in the NBA Finals. Is that true? 2016, Steph, he played in the NBA Finals. Westbrook, Harden, Giannis, Giannis, none of them played in, in the NBA Finals. I think Harden was the only one to play in the conference finals. So, yeah. A lot of this has to do with both fatigue, like player fatigue in terms of voting and storytelling. There was no reason in anyone's right mind that Carl Malone was better than Michael Jordan in 1997. But people were tired of voting for him. They just won 72 games in a title. The same thing happened to LeBron. And it's still happening. He should have won in 2011, but that would mean he gets five MVPs in a row, which is insane, but we all know he was the best player. Derrick Rose was very exciting. I get it. But no, LeBron was the best player. He should have gotten it in 2018 when he literally dragged that pathetic excuse for a supporting cast to one of the greatest NBA Finals Game 1 performances you'll ever see, ever. But James Harden got it, to which I'm not super mad. But it was also an apology one because Russ stole his in 2017. I wouldn't have given Westbrook MVP in 2017 because I don't think his play translates well to winning, but I'm just a hater, so what do I know? More on Russ's play style later. But really, you can see that whoever has the best individual season, according to the voters, usually doesn't win much. Maybe because LeBron just does all the winning and you couldn't give it to a Spurs player every year, but I digress. <clears throat> I made a comment about, about Russ's play style. And that will also transition transition very nicely into my second point. So Russ comes from a long line of players who fall into this category. I don't have a good name yet, but this is what the category. Aggressive downhill pressure players what do i mean basically they're the kind of player that you're literally terrified of them having a fast break on you or what's even scarier is that they're so fast or aggressive that they can turn a random rebound in a three-on-three situation into a fast break whenever they want these are your dr j's your young MJs, your Allen Iversons, your young LeBrons, your Derrick Roses, your Russes, your Giannis's. These are those players. They will destroy you in the regular season simply because their effort output in putting pressure on you with their first step, with their ability to turn the corner, with their finishing ability gets you in foul trouble early. 
that then makes you back up really far so they can start warming up into their shots when they go under the screen, right? That then forces you to overhelp on their drives and they get easy assists. These guys will eat you alive in the middle of a road trip or back-to-back because you have no idea by looking at the way they play if it's game six of a playoff series or game six of the regular season. But these players all generally have the same flaw. They can't shoot. And at all. And because of that, when the coaching staff and players get to focus on you and only you in a seven-game series, these players don't perform as well. They might embarrass the average athletes that a first and second round opponent puts in front of them, but against the best of the best in the conference finals or the NBA finals, they're getting put in jail. I know there's this whole thing about the quote, Jordan rules, but they're not that complex, but they did lay a very good blueprint for this downhill pressure prototype. Let me explain. The Jordan rules were basically designed to make sure MJ never takes a layup or dribbles towards his right side. Because you will not outjump him and you will not slide your feet faster than he moves. His only option was to hit jump shots. And at that stage of his career, in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, that wasn't happening yet. He became elite in the mid-range later on, but not quite yet. In the 1990 Eastern Conference Finals, MJ shot 46% from the field, which is decent, and 28% from three, which is awful. He was never good at the three, but I explained that earlier, why that was the case. In 1989, a year prior, so we just discussed 1990, in 89, a year prior, he shot 46% from the field, 23% from three, good God, and only 76% from from the free throw line, which definitely doesn't help his his cause when he's usually around 82 or 83% for his career. So apply this logic to even more players. In 2007, the 2007 NBA Finals, young the young Braun, baby Braun, shot a god-awful 35% from the field and 20% from three combined with 69% from the line. Nice. Anyways, we can blame his supporting cast all we want for that. But I mean, you cannot shoot like that and expect anything good to come your way at all. In the 2008 Eastern Conference Finals Round 2 matchup with the eventual champion Celtics, LeBron once again shot an abysmal 35% from the field and 23% from three. You will not win games like that. You will not. It will not happen. I promise. It will not happen. I understand that Derrick Rose got hurt, so we have no idea what would have happened. But to say that he would have become a better shooter is uh, wishful. His MVP season. 2011 Eastern Conference Finals against the Heat. D-Rose, 35% from the field, 23% from three. Just like baby Braun. Excuse me. 2016 Russell Westbrook. When they blew the first 3-1 lead of those playoffs to Golden State. 39% from the field, 32% from three. Better than the previous, but not quite good enough. Because he needed to catch and shoot off of Durant getting doubled, and he couldn't do it. Backtrack a bit. 2012 NBA Finals. So this is four years prior. Baby Russ, 43% from the field. Decent. 14% from three is no bueno. 2017 triple-double MVP year. The only playoff series they played in. 39% from the field. 26% from three. That is not going to get it done. 
So enter Giannis. First MVP year 2019, where the Raptors infamously built the wall against Giannis every time he had the ball. 44% from the field, 33% from three, which is good for him, but only 58% from the free throw line. And that 44% doesn't from the field doesn't seem bad, but when you're comparing it to his season average of 58% from the field during that regular season, it makes a drastic difference. Especially if you're not too upset if you foul him, considering he only makes every other free throw. 2020 playoffs. Yes, I get it. Giannis gets hurt, but in the games he does play against Miami in round two, 51% from the field, 21% from three, and an awful 54% from the free throw line. Leave that topic there. That leads into the other branching topic I told you that I had. Topic two, the conversation about best player slash who takes the final shot. Who takes the final shot? So there's this old, old age-old debate about who you want to take the last shot, who you want to take the last shot. Fate of the universe, I need a bucket, I want Iguodala. <laughs> but this comes up every once in a while. And what it really comes down to is shot variety. If you ask me, Theo, it's the third quarter. I need two points. What player at any given point in time ever do you want to get you two points? I'm taking prime Shaq. But if you ask me who I want taking the last shot, I want someone with at least some perimeter scoring capabilities. This came up recently talking about how LeBron isn't considered an all-time great scorer is because a lot of us think of scoring as something that's either really hard to do or really pretty. Layups look easy. Jump shots look difficult yet beautiful. So in our heads, we're like a player who makes more jump shots is the best scorer. Where that's really just a bias towards perimeter players. Now, I will say Kevin Durant, Kobe, MJ, Carmelo, Steph, they all have unbelievably deep jump shot arsenals, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're a, quote, better scorer. They just have more options on average. Steph, as we saw in the play-in game, puts in these 30-foot bombs and also hits you with the crafty floater and the scoop package, you know what I'm saying? And he lulls you to sleep and he hits you with these reverse layup and ones because his body control is like unlike most things I've ever seen. But LeBron is unbelievably gifted at scoring. The at there's a thinking basketball video that I keep pointing to pointing out. Thinking basketball had a video on LeBron. And he was detailing how good LeBron was during his time in Miami and how he was the greatest finisher around the rim of all time. When he was in Miami, which is crazy. And that's scoring too. That's incredibly difficult to do to finish around the trees, around contact, adjust in the air. And that's very hard. But if that's your primary method of scoring and your volume shooting is efficiency, if volume shooting efficiency is low and exploitable, as I highlighted before, you aren't in that who takes the final shot discussion. Now, older Braun definitely is. He's hit, I think, five playoff buzzer beaters, which is the most all-time. He hit two in one postseason in 2018. But if you ever hear any discourse about taking the final shot, that's why Shaq and Giannis aren't in it. It's not because they're, they're not great players, but with five seconds left and you dump it down to them, They won't make the free throws if you foul them, and they're super dependent on going towards the rim at all costs. Final notes. Um, Obviously, I love LaMelo, so I'm like, yeah, just give him the rookie of the year. But I think it would be really cool if they they did co-rookie of the year. That would be really cool. I think they did that for, like, Tim Duncan and Jason Kidd. I think they should do it again. Um, I think the Clippers are going to choke. Let's go. I hope Luca sends them 
straight to God. You know what I'm saying? Just eliminate them. But it's fine. They'll lose in the second round anyway, like they did last year. Clippers will never make the conference finals ever. Uh, mark my words. Playoff Puff Pastry, get it out of here. Playoff Paddington Bear, get him out of here. Um, let's see. The East is cool. Like, the East is really cool. I kind of wish the Wizards would have ended up playing, like, the Nets. That would have been awesome. I think the Sixers, the defense is just so good. I think the Sixers are going to make it out the East. They're going to play the Lakers. It's going to be Lakers in six. Braun gets five. And we're we're all happy. Those are my thoughts. Those are my takes. Let me know what you think. Holla at your boy uh, at a different time. You know what I'm saying? With your thoughts, your hot takes, whatever the case may be. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoy some playoff basketball. I hope my recommendations list could, you know, provide some insight onto all this nerd stuff I do. Um, Hope you have a good weekend, a good week. Whenever you listen to this, stay safe, stay blessed. I'll catch you all next time.